The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. We're certainly glad to be back here in person tonight. Uh, I know other preachers can relate to how awkward it is sometimes trying to preach uh, to a computer or to make a CD in order to play on the radio, it's, it's entirely different, and uh, it's so good to, as Brother Chris has said, to do it the way it's meant to be done, and we want to take advantage of technology, but there's no better expression of the kingdom of God than the local church, and we need to always remember that. Tonight, I want to consider with you a concept which is described in scripture as the faith of Christ. And I'm going to be looking primarily at the book of Galatians. And the issue that the apostle is addressing here has to do with God's people being led astray from the truth of the gospel. And to show you how up-to-date and relevant this epistle is, which was written to a group of churches, the churches of Galatia. You can think about how this compares to uh, the problems we encounter today. And Paul refers to it as a perversion of the gospel. And there are a lot of those out there today. So I want to begin in Galatians chapter 1 and read verse 3 and 4. And we'll get to the phrase, the faith of Christ, in a little while. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now here we have the message of the gospel. And the gospel is a message. It's good news or glad tidings. And here is the event, if you will, that the gospel refers to. It says, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That's what we believe as primitive Baptists. Jesus gave himself for our sins. In the same way that animal sacrifices were offered to God throughout the Old Testament, in like manner, Jesus offered himself to God as the spotless Lamb of God. And God was pleased with that offering and God accepted that offering. And consequently, he thereby redeemed his people. He saved us from our sins. And ultimately, the consequence will be that he will deliver us 
from this present evil world. Now, if you pass away before the Lord returns, you will instantaneously be delivered from this present evil world. If you are yet alive here on the earth when the Lord returns, you will experience and literally see your deliverance from this present evil world. So he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. And notice this is according to God's will. This is very familiar ground to primitive Baptists. And this is the foundation of our faith. This is expressed so clearly in 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 9 where it says he hath saved us and called us with an holy calling. That expression called us with an holy calling is referring to the new birth. He has saved us and called us with an holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. And notice here in Galatians 1.4, he uses that same expression that Jesus uh, gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world. And he says this is according to the will of God and our Father. Now, that was an event that took place 2,000 years ago. And through that, Jesus saved his people from their sins. And as you read the book of Galatians, you can see that the call of the ministry, or let's say the warfare that we're going through as ministers, is a battle for the minds of God's people. Amen. We're not in a battle to save God's people from hell. That's not our burden. That's not our calling. But I tell you, there is an intense battle that we must fight for the minds of God's people. Amen. And that's all around us today, as most all of us have relatives or friends that embrace what Paul refers to here as another gospel. And we would love to be able to change their mind. So now go down to verse 6. We've already read about the event of what Jesus accomplished. Now Paul says, I marvel. I'm amazed. I can't believe it. I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Now we need to be uh, very careful as we read this and try to interpret it as accurately as we can. Now notice what he says. Paul says, someone has removed you. He says, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ. Okay? The Spirit of God is that which called you into the grace of Christ. We've already established that. That's speaking of the new birth. 
The calling under consideration here is the new birth. That called you, listen, into the grace of Christ. That's that vital experience when a child of God is translated from the, uh, from the darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He's translated from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son. He is quickened. He's alive. That's what's under consideration there in that phrase that says, Him that called you into the grace of Christ. You've been moved. But notice this. You've been moved unto another gospel. You are not moved out of the grace of Christ. You are not moved away from that security of life that you have in the Lord. Somebody says, well, what do you primitive Baptists believe about perseverance? We believe that when you're born again, you stay born again. Anything beyond that may or may not happen. But I guarantee you every child of God will, will persevere in the sense that they will stay born of the Spirit. They will never again be dead in trespasses and sins. They may behave as if they are. You might not see that they have life in Christ. But aren't you glad that the foundation of God standeth sure having the seal of the Lord knoweth them that are His? I may not know. These other preachers may not know. But the Lord knoweth them that are His. But I want you to see this. He said, you, the, here was the move. And this was a move in the mind. He said, you are moved unto another gospel. Which is not another. There's only one. He says, which is not another. But he goes on to say, but here's what I mean by that. When I say you've been moved unto another gospel, which is not another, here's what I mean. There be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And it's not my purpose to criticize any particular uh, denomination's beliefs. But I want you to see how up to date this is. Paul said... You've been removed or you've moved away from the gospel unto another gospel. The gospel says Jesus saved his people by grace. There's another gospel out there that says Jesus saved his people by grace. All you have to do is accept it. That's another gospel. That's exactly what he's talking about. Though the issues are different here, though the particular doctrine that they've embraced is different, the principle is exactly the same. The mind of God's people have been pulled away from the truth, and there is a great impact in your life when that happens. The most important thing a child of God needs is a knowledge of the truth. Amen. It's no surprise that in that parable of the sower, that that uh, seed that fell by the wayside is likened unto this, is when the word of God is sown, 
in a heart. And that makes it clear that this is a child of God hearing the gospel. But it says, Satan cometh and taketh away that which was what? Sown in his heart. If someone's not born again, they have a hard and stony heart. And the Bible says in the book of Acts that when someone like that hears the gospel, they're cut to the heart and they're mad and they gnash upon you with their teeth. But these wayside hearers are likened to those in whom the, the word of God was sown, but Satan comes and taketh it away, lest they should believe and be saved. Saved from what? The bondage of living their life thinking, I've got to get right with God. Satan does not want a child of God to understand salvation by grace. Why? Because it liberates him from the assaults of Satan. That doesn't mean that we're delivered from his attacks entirely, but we're delivered from the one in which he is described as the accuser of the brethren. You're delivered from him whispering in your ear that you're not really saved. No one as bad as you could be saved. And Satan doesn't want you to understand that. And whether they're false prophets or sincere men of God who have been misled, he will use any resource available to veil your eyes from an understanding of the truth. I marvel you're so soon removed. But look at verse 8 and 9. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere. Paul did not believe that. He says in verse 8, but though we are an angel from heaven. Paul says, I don't care if, a, if somebody comes claiming to be an angel from heaven. You see, he establishes here that the, the word of God is never nullified by someone's vision or experience or the time they say the Lord appeared to them. The word of God is not nullified. Paul says, I don't care if it's an angel from heaven. In other words, I know what I've preached is the truth. It was revealed to me. God showed it to me. It is the truth. There's no doubt about it. And he says, though, we are an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, and then pat him on the back and say, brother, we're all working to get to the same place. Doesn't say that, does it? He says, let him be accursed. That doesn't mean you cursing, but you're rather in your mind you're saying, that's between him and the Lord. And the Lord's not pleased with the gospel that robs God of glory in him saving his people. And he repeats it in verse 9. As we said before, when did you say this, Paul? In the verse right before it. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which ye have received, let him be accursed. So he says in verse 4, Jesus gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. That's the gospel. He gave himself for our sins. We were saved. We will be delivered from this present evil world. And the gospel is simply someone telling you that. But Paul said, 
you have been removed, not from Christ, not from God, not from grace, not from being called, but you've been removed from the gospel unto another. Now go to chapter 2 and verse 16. Let's begin with verse 15. We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Now when he talks about this other gospel, which is a perverted form of the true gospel, he's referring to the idea that some have been persuaded to believe that I've got to keep the law, I've got to follow the law, I've got to meet some conditions in order to be saved. You know, in the book of Acts chapter 15, they had to call the preachers together because there were those disturbing the church, saying if you're not circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. And Peter wound up that preacher's meeting, saying we believe we shall be saved by the grace of God, even as they. Amen. That was the conclusion of that meeting. But notice here, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. I want us to try to understand exactly what that means. There's two primary terms we need to grasp. One is the word justified, and the other is that expression, the faith of Jesus Christ. Now, justified means or to justify means to declare righteous. And in order that we might understand this, just think of a courtroom setting. If someone is justified in a courtroom setting, that means the verdict has been returned not guilty. Now, let's say someone had uh, been charged with a crime and they now come to court. They're innocent before the trial starts. They're innocent when the trial is over. That verdict of not guilty had nothing to do with whether or not that person was innocent. Their innocence is irrelevant to the verdict. The verdict didn't establish that they were literally or actually guilty or innocent. It just made it known. It revealed it. It was a declaration of it. It was brought out. And all were convinced. See, when I first began preaching, I would read the word justify, and I thought it meant that something had been accomplished. For example, in Romans 5, 9... Paul says that we have been justified by his blood. 
And I thought, well, that means that uh, Jesus' blood is what accomplished our salvation. It's what accomplished our justification. That's not exactly right. To say that we're justified by his blood is to say because of what was accomplished by his blood, we can be declared righteous. You see the difference? Blood, the blood of Christ doesn't justify you in the sense that that blood saved you with regard to justification. Now follow me on this, but that blood accomplished your salvation and to say that you're justified by his blood is to say that you are declared right with God on the basis of what was accomplished by his blood. Now, I know I'm doing like one preacher said one time. He said, I'm going to split a hair with you now. You better not split hairs unless you're careful and know what you're talking about. And I hope I'm not confusing you on this. But justification is a declaration of that which is already a reality. We're justified by the blood of Christ. Why am I declared not guilty? Because of the blood of Christ. But he also says in that same chapter, Romans 5.1, that we're justified by faith. Well, which way is it? It's both, but it's from different vantage points. As, some, as one preacher described it, in the courtroom of heaven, we're justified by blood. The reason God looks at us and declares that we are not guilty. The reason God looks at us and declares that we are righteous and fit to live in heaven is because of the blood of Jesus Christ and what it accomplished. We're justified, we're declared righteous because of what was accomplished by the blood of Christ. See, the blood atoned for our sins. The blood redeemed us. That's what it actually did. It bought us back to God. It was the price that was paid to buy us back to God. And consequently, in the eyes of God, we're justified. But the concept of Galatians is this idea of being justified by faith or in particular, as it's described here, he says we're justified by the faith of Christ. Okay, so we've tried to establish what it means to justify. It means to render a verdict. And with regard to eternal salvation, it means to render the verdict not guilty. Now let's think about that phrase, the faith of Jesus Christ. First of all, it has that little article, the, in front of it. If you'll read uh, places in the Bible like Hebrews 11, which is referred to as the Hall of Faith, where there's a long list of God's people throughout history that have been faithful, and it talks about how they followed, the God, how, followed God, how they obeyed Him through faith, how they followed Him by faith. It doesn't say... The faith in Hebrews 11. It's a different idea. 
See, for you to trust God and to walk in obedience, that's to walk by faith. For you to have the motivation and the courage to do what God says in the face of conflict is to walk through faith, to do it through faith. But when you have that little article, the, in front of the word faith, it means the beliefs or the doctrine the substance of what it is you embrace. For example, in Jude 1, it says that we're to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered unto the saints, the doctrines, the beliefs. And in particular, as we think about the faith of Christ, it refers to a particular part of those beliefs. Look at Romans uh, Revelation 14, 12. The best dictionary on the Bible is the Bible. You've never heard me say that before. Romans 14, 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now notice this. He puts... Those that keep, that is those that obey, those that guard, or specifically those that hold on to the commandments of God. You hold on to them in the sense that you do what they say. He says, these are they which uh, keep the commandments of God and keep the faith of Jesus. I inserted the word keep, but it applies to both phrases. You see that? This is, these are those that keep the commandments of God and keep the faith of Jesus. And what I'm trying to get through to you is that this faith of Jesus or the faith of Jesus that we're to keep is a particular part of doctrinal truth that we're to hold on to that impacts our lives. See, oftentimes in Revelation, John was given a vision of heaven. And there were descriptions of the suffering saints. Now you could not suffer for Christ's sake or for righteousness' sake if your only motivation was to keep the commandments of God. You couldn't do it. But if you're motivated by keeping the commandments of God and the faith of Christ or the faith of Jesus as it is stated here means that in your mind you have embraced this concept of Jesus is my righteousness and the reason that I'm right with God is because of what Jesus did. Here's what it means to be justified by faith. In your mind, when you understand what Jesus did, you're able to embrace that verdict in your mind that I am right with God. Why? Because I believe that Jesus accomplished my salvation. That's the idea. Listen now. That's the idea of the faith of Jesus, and that's what will keep God's people going during persecution and all their suffering, not just keeping the commandments of God, but, oh, we also need to keep right now while we're not suffering. Keep the faith of Jesus. Hold on to it. 
Don't allow yourself to lose that peace of being able to say that the reason the verdict for me has been rendered not guilty is because of what Jesus did. That, that concept is what the Bible's talking about when it says the faith of Christ. Now go back to Galatians having tried to explain the meaning of justify, that is, it's a declaration of not guilty, and having tried to explain the meaning of that phrase, the faith of Christ, being that we understand the concept of salvation by grace, and that has an ongoing uh, motivation and influence in our life. Now let's put it all together. Galatians 2, 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law. I think everybody in this building already knows that. <laughs> we are not justified by the works of the law. Is there anybody here, now keeping with the meaning of the word justify, is there anybody here that's able to render the verdict in your conscience that I'm not guilty because I keep the law? Anybody here that has that peace? That doesn't bring any peace. That brings bondage. Paul said with the law comes the knowledge of sin. You know, that's sort of the opposite of the gospel, isn't it? With the gospel comes the knowledge of salvation. <laughs> so, uh, when Paul knew the law, that didn't cause him to be guilty. That didn't cause him to become a sinner. But it, it clearly showed that he was one. And in like manner the, with the gospel is the knowledge of salvation. Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Paul says, here's what we know. We know we are justified by the faith of Jesus Christ. Now again, I want you to understand you have been declared not guilty in the sight of God because of the blood of Christ alone. But the deliverance your soul enjoys each day, the only reason I'm going to be able to go to bed tonight and not fear hell, the only reason I'm going to go to bed tonight with some degree of spiritual peace is because I have, I've embraced the faith of Christ. And the faith of Christ is my understanding of what he accomplished and it gives me the sense, it, it helps me to understand that I'm not guilty. Now notice this. Paul says, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Christ, even we have believed Jesus Christ. Now, if, this, if there's anyone here that hasn't believed on Christ in this sense of the word, that's the reason you need to believe in Jesus Christ. You ought to believe in Jesus Christ. 
Because in so doing, you then embrace this concept referred to as the faith of Christ. You then begin walking through, Christ, walking through life with the confidence that I was saved by the blood of Christ. I'm redeemed. I'm secure. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. In other words, you have justification in your own conscience and your own understanding. You're justified. You understand why things are right between you and God. Knowing that a man's not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. No mortal man will ever before God, be declared righteous based on how well he performs keeping the law. And if you're honest, you know you'll never be justified in your own opinion of yourself either. You're not justified by the works of the law. Yet there are religions out there that put that burden on God's people. That if you want to go to heaven, you've got to keep these ordinances. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to go through these ceremonies. You've got to keep and do all these things and make these prayers on a daily basis. And by doing all these things, you can, have a, you can then know that things are right between you and God. And the little child of God knows he doesn't ever feel right with God on that basis. Oh, he's been told the commandments of God, and we ought to keep the commandments of God. But that's not all there is to it. We need to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now look at Galatians chapter 4 and verse 19. My little children, of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. Now, I've never tried to make the claim to my wife that I understand what it's like to travail in birth. I'm not going to claim that I understand what you're going through. And I would advise that none of you husbands do that either. Don't tell your wife, I know what you're going through in travail. But this was such a heavy burden on Paul. You know, I told you this morning that Brother Chris made it clear uh, in his preaching. You know, when he almost got emotional one time, he you were seeing a manifestation of his burden for you as the body of Christ. Paul had a burden. Here's a man that persecuted the church of God and wasted it. And yet he come to be to the point where he was justified by the faith of Christ. And he could say, oh, wretched man that I am. He, he had that burden of sin, but he says, I thank God I have the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. That's an example. That's a picture of someone who's in that mindset of being justified by the faith of Christ. Paul says, my little children. Of whom I travail in birth again. You remember in the book of Corinthians, and we'll not turn to that, 
But in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 15, Paul says at the end of that verse, through Christ Jesus, uh, in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. That's not the new birth. You might say that the begotten under consideration there is bringing them into the faith of Christ, bringing them into that realm of understanding. Paul says, in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. There are some here at Zion Church. I know there's some at Bethlehem. That they were begotten in the gospel or begotten through the gospel when they heard the preaching of salvation by grace. I know there's people that these brethren have talked to that they observed that individual passing from bondage to justification by the faith of Christ. And that carries them through life day by day. Here Paul says, I travail in birth again. In other words, here's some people that he was blessed as he labored and preached among them. He saw them converted And now they fell away. And Paul said, I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. And then he says in Galatians 5.1. To me, this is one of the simplest verses in this whole book regarding what I'm trying to get across to you. And you may say, well, brother, buddy, why didn't you just go to that verse since it's so simple? Well, don't we need to be able to answer those that ask us about the Scripture? Don't you want to be able to answer those? And this is a, this is a doctrine that about 20 years ago in, 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 uh, what was introduced among our people and several ministers embraced it and we're no longer in fellowship with them today and some of them were dear friends of mine. This can happen to God's people at any time. But the idea was brought in that without faith, You're not justified in the sight of God. Without faith in the gospel, without embracing the gospel, God doesn't view you as right with Him. See, we don't believe that. That robs the glory that Jesus deserves. When God looks down upon us, He doesn't say, well, I'm so glad that 90% of their salvation is in the blood of Christ. But oh, I'm also thankful they're persevering in faith. And it weren't for that, the blood of Christ would not be effective. See, we can't tolerate that. That's another gospel. And we must say to those brethren in our mind, we must say, let him be accursed. Any doctrine that robs God of glory. Any doctrine that calls into question the simple truth that Jesus saved His people from their sins is a doctrine to be avoided. And right now, you have ministers that will defend their pulpits from those perverted doctrines. I pray that these young men that are manifesting a call to preach will be just as diligent. And so in Galatians 5.1, he says, Stand fast in the liberty 
wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again. Don't get all tangled up again in the yoke of bondage. Now I want you to see how simple this is. The central thought of this verse is Christ hath made us free. I could preach an hour on that. Christ, the word Christ means anointed. He was the anointed one. He was the one that God intended to come and do this. He's the anointed one. Christ hath made. That's past tense. And it was past tense in the first century. After 33 AD. Christ hath made us free. Now that's just an emphatic truth. That's the central thought of the verse. But the commandment of the verse is stand fast. You can't stand fast on something that's not already there, can you? You can only stand fast on or in something that's already a reality. Stand fast in the liberty. Here's what the faith of Christ is. Here's what it means. Here's what we experience when we're justified by the faith of Christ. We experience liberty. Freedom. You know, when I was walking a few days ago and meditating on this and thinking about preaching on it, I just, I just kept thinking to myself, Lord, this is your inspired, preserved word in English, and it's so simple, it's so precious. And I remember thinking, I can't wait to stand before Zion Church and read that verse in chapter 1, though they already know it, I can't wait to read that verse that says, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Don't you know that there are highly educated men out there that have robbed God's people of these simple, simple truths? You know, if I talk to some great theologian and say, well, here's what I believe. I believe Jesus came and saved us, and is coming back to get us, and that's all she wrote. I think you, that's, that's just too simple. It has to be complex. Right. I, I'm having some conversations with a man, man right now that he knows the Bible. He can quote a lot of it, but what he does, he takes the concepts that to me are simple, and there's some deeper meaning to it. Like, I don't understand that way of thinking, you know, but some people are that way. That the, oh, that's just too simple. There's got to be some deep, uh, unfulfilled prophecy or something else going on there. That, it's really not what it says. It's really what it says. Jesus gave himself that he might deliver us from this present evil world. So you just stand fast in that liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.